Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Well, and thank goodness the doctor's in because Super Don is now out. He's hitting the road, and uh, we heard from him, surprise guest uh, that I didn't expect, but I'm glad that Dr. Batar is here with me. How are you, my friend? I'm well. How are you, Robert? D- uh, doing well. I, it's been a stressful day because, you know, I, I, you realize how much you lean on somebody when they're not there, like Super mm-hmm. Don, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, not knowing he's on the road, I'm like, uh, you know, prepping the show. Is it, when's you going to, you know, so it was one of those days and I'm good now, but it, it just the acknowledge the human aspect of some days don't go as swimmingly as others. All right. is good. Well, now, but at the same time, I, I, uh, I, d- I did like what the CBD did, a little relaxation that I needed today. Uh, so. <laughs> But uh, we're, we're good. You know, before we get into the spirituality and cancer, I've been teasing that story, and I know I love to discuss that with you. We've had some great discussions over the years here doing advanced medicine on that. Um, your theory about, what was it about the allele uh, associated with autism or, or the, the susceptibility or the lack of excretion, the mercury, that kind of thing, related also to cognition, intelligence. Mm-hmm. Is that Did I say that right? Yeah, exactly. I believe that the same allele, wherever the polymorphism occurs on the genetic code, whichever allele defines the ability to excrete mm-hmm. uh, appears to be the same allele that defines raw cognitive ability. And the only reason I can say that with almost certainty, without having established that in any type of study, I can say that with almost certainty only because after having treated over 20 300, almost approaching 2,400 kids now, Yeah, every one of these children that are so-called autistic, and again, remember, I don't even really use that term. I don't mm-hmm. like using that term because that indicates a pathology, and there is no such pathology. What it really is is a poisoning. Right. But if we use autism, and again, well, we'll just define it since we, we brought this up. Autism is nothing sure. more than the inability of the body to excrete mercury uh, on board Basically, it's mercury toxicity on board a physiology that has the inability to excrete. Essentially, that's all it is. Right. And everybody has mercury. That's not the issue. The issue is which ones, which individuals can get rid of it, which people mm-hmm. can't. If you're an adult, you can't get rid of it, you're going to have Alzheimer's. If you're a child, you can't get rid of it, you're going to have autism or, or one of those autism spectrum right. disorders, pervasive developmental delay, ADD, ADHD, whatever you want to call it. Dr. Batar, would it be safe to say other metals also, or, or as far as pathways of excretion are compromised, not just mercury, even though mercury is the, the big one? Well, the pathways may be compromised, but it is mm-hmm. the actual mercury that causes the denudation of the neurofibrils, which other metals do not cause. In fact, lead, which has been shown to decrease IQ, even doesn't cause the same level of denudation of the neurofibrils. Mercury by itself is in a class that causes this neurological deficit that no other metal seems to create. For example, uranium is the most toxic substance known to man. It is the most toxic not only metal, but the most toxic substance naturally occurring to man. But even uranium doesn't cause 
the denudation of the neurofibrils. Now, uranium is going to cause the oncogenic process later on in life. They're going to get cancer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but right. it doesn't cause the neurological deficits like mercury does. And this kind of goes back to what something you brought up many years ago when we first started the show. Mm-hmm. I remember you saying something that kind of hit me because I'd never heard it before, Mad Hatter's disease in Alice right. in Wonderland. Yes. You know, mercury has been associated historically with this neurological deficit, even right. in old wives' tales or in fairy tales, but mm-hmm. modern science has they knew not it. been... Yeah, well, and Hahnemann, Hahnemann 200 plus years ago, you know, when he, when he put the Materia Medica together with the provings, mercury had almost the mo- probably the most pages of anything when we talk about symptoms associated with exposure at even minute levels. And that's what makes it also a good medicine on the other side when it's non-toxic and homeopathic form, when there's no molecule that can hurt you. But, you know, the, these are the things. And, and one of the reasons I brought it up, uh, because, you know, my son was, you know, in class, a very small class. He's entering into a larger high school now. Uh, but, you know, the, a few of the kids he was with, his, you know, boys his age, every one of them. My son wasn't vaccinated, but the other kids had aspects of Asperger's manifestation, you know, within mm-hmm. that spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they were all, and they all are super intelligent. And I've got to know one of the fathers of, of one of these kids, bright, bright young, young man, 15. I mean, you know, honors level, intelligence, incredible. And he admitted to me because he found out, you know, our perspective on vaccines. And, you know, I introduced him to your book recently, as well as mine with Ty. And, and he said, you know, I, I knew something happened. That way back when he was a normal kid, functioning on all levels, fully engaged, communicative, and then the MMR shot happened. And he could uh-huh. see it that day, something shifted. Now, this was one of those that hits you in the gut and the heart because you know these stories, and now I know another one. And, and I never talk to them about that. You don't want to get into their space about it until they're ready. But now he's, lo- he's looking at this mercury issue and saying, you know, is it too late at 15? Can I, can I help my son still? And, you know, we've had... Uh, a number of young men and women over the age of 15 that have come to us, and there's been varying levels of success. Um, and, Robert, I, you know, during during the pre-show mm-hmm. 30 seconds that we spent, we never even talked about talking about any of this, but no, I, no. I have to share something else with you, which I think we're going to, again, like usual, whatever. This is the reason <laughs> we never make any plans for the show, because they never go according to plan. <laughs> anyway, who cares, right? But, yeah, who yeah. cares, right? So... Here's the thing that's really interesting, and you brought this up now, 15-year-old, we've had a number, as I said, that have been very successful, but varying levels. In other words, they don't become necessarily neurotypic. Now, I have a 16-year-old that now has his own, he's 23 now, he has his own uh, um, business, and he has Mm -hmm. his own employees, and and he's been very, very successful. Uh, David, who I think you've probably talked to on the phone, we've had him on a couple of webinars mm-hmm. where I've done with some other doctors where Abby and he were together and they answered you know, certain questions. And it was just hilarious, this, this webinar that we did with Dr. Michael Gabriel, where the parents were there. There was about 50 or 60 parents, and they, they wanted to talk to, the, to Abby and David. So, you know, I had them rearranged for it. And it was so funny, this one parent asks a question that was so absurd that everybody else turned around and looked at the woman. We had the two-way camera going with um, Skype. Mm-hmm. And she says, are you appropriate? Are you appropriate in your <laughs> response? 
And I, I just put my head down like, what a stupid question for somebody to ask two young adolescent males. Mm-hmm. And their responses are hilarious. You know, Avi goes, uh, appropriate? That, defi- that depends on what your definition of appropriate is. And, <laughs> yes. and, you know, David's like laughing. He goes, uh, he goes, I'm pretty certain that I'm not appropriate in anything. And they're both <laughs> laughing at you. And they're both That's like going great. back and forth between the, each other, you know, Avi and David were. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought it was hilarious because it kind of put it in perspective like they're both appropriate for adolescent males. They're young, yes, they're young, they're joking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and the parent to ask that question, I'm thinking, how appropriate is it for you to ask right. two young kids that were that were hurt, injured, that are now neurologically completely intact, how appropriate is it for you to ask, are you appropriate? Ask any adolescent male if they're appropriate, and I think pretty <laughs> much you're going to get the same kind of answer. But, and but anybody did, that says, I'm not a, I am appropriate, mm, probably be lying, right? Right, <laughs> but it did show, again, the, the, the connection, you know, to the, to the being very present. In a situation right. like that, because when you're not neurotypical, appropriate the truth yeah, were exactly. exactly when you're not in that neurotypical state, you wouldn't pick up on a cue like that to respond in that way at all. Exactly, uh, which is which is great news for you know for those who haven't you know maybe they're finding out only now when their kids are you know mid teenage years. Well, this is why I wanted to bring this up because I haven't had an update with you about my dad, have we? Have we talked? No, about that? we're not in a while. No. All right. Well, this is unbelievable information. They are literally besides my own immediate family. Um, and there are three doctors that I have had. In fact, I've got a conference call with two of them right after this call, uh, right after our radio show, mm-hmm. um, discussing some of these things. But my dad came for a family reunion last week. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but suffice it to say that there was a treatment that has been done by a doctor that has developed a, a technique and using an uh, tumor necrosis factor antagonist. So using an established drug that mm-hmm. is used for actually arthritic type conditions, very expensive drug, a um, couple thousand dollars per dose. But he has used this drug, uh, the, the, the um, tumor necrosis factor antagonist, meaning that it blocks the tumor necrosis factor essentially. Okay. And he's introduced it into the body, not via the normal routes, which are intramuscular or IV or there's other ways of administering it, but he actually did it through a specific technique that is through the spinal cord. Now, there's only so much information that's out there, but I ended up doing this treatment. I'm not going to go all through the details, but let me just tell you how fast the results were. The preliminary information that I'd seen, and this is published information, by the way. This doctor, unfortunately, I believe he should get a Nobel Peace Prize for his work because he's done something incredible. He's published this in numerous studies. He's been ridiculed. um, Tobernick is his name, Dr. Tobernick. Um, And we'll make sure that we have the proper spelling for it. But anyway, I'm telling you that my dad, in the last year and a half, his condition, right-sided hemiparesis, which means right-sided paralysis. From uh, the stroke, again, with... for those that are new, your, your dad had a stroke, and, uh, you know, obviously yeah. you got him, it helped to get him and guided some doctors to give him the right kind of treatment to get him back, but this is this is new information. Right. Well, actually, uh, he, he had the stroke in October of 2013. I was in Europe. Um, he was evaluated in Pennsylvania. He was said that he would never walk again. Uh I told my family, like I came back from Europe, I told my family I'd have him walking within a month. We got him walking within 27 days, so I was wrong. I was three days earlier. Hmm. But he wasn't walking normally, but he was able to sustain his own weight and be able to walk. Um, he needed a walker or a cane. That was a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, actually. This, this October will be two years. Um, so his condition has been pretty much the same since then. He hasn't had any treatments. He's living in St. Louis. But he came for a family reunion. 
and I went ahead and did this treatment. It was kind of difficult to get the medication. And, sure. But, but what, what would it. you say that pathway, if it's a TNF uh, antagonist, what did it do that he had such a, a response? It's anti-inflammation. It's, it's basically okay. reducing the inflammatory cascade, which has been postulated before. And the drugs have been given, and many different types of drugs have been used. But I think it's actually the use of not only the drug um, or any other natural thing, I think, with theoretical work, it's getting it to the body. That's the mm -hmm. key. Okay, and so a different pathway right of administration. I would like yeah. to read, definitely read more about it, so if you can send me a link and we, we can discuss it as well. We remain open to all things that can help. If you can do it in a way that it doesn't intoxicate to death these patients, which is always the risk with certain drug therapies, uh, we'll talk about it here on the Robert Scabell Show. That's why this is advanced medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. You can always go to medicalrewind.com for updates and info and fast access to archives. We've got hundreds of hours going back years now. Great stuff. And Dr. Bittar is the author of the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. We're going to talk spirituality and cancer when we come back. Looking forward to it. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good. It requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Rashi Bittar, drbttar.com. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Medical Rewind is one of the easiest places to get our uh, every weekly uh, uh, you know, update and episode as we do some Medical Rewind together, medicalrewind.com. Dr. Bittar, you were telling a story about your dad recovering you know, over time with, from a stroke. Uh, paralysis on one side improved greatly, but not fully, uh, you know, as far as a normal gait or a walk, which is pretty common after this. Uh, but you've encountered some new methodology utilizing or uh, utilizing a drug in a different way, and uh, we still don't know exactly what happened. Well, so let me tell you what happened. Um, we videotaped him on, let's see, today is Monday, so it would have been a not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before, mm -hmm. and did the so it hasn't been quite uh, two weeks. So about ten days ago, uh, videotaped him baseline, and wanted to see if he could walk without his walker, and he was able to take one step without the walker. So, you know, still difficult. Um, his right arm for him to use his right arm, he has to grab it with his left arm and pick it up to put it on the table. Basically, the right arm. Uh, couldn't really use it except to, if he tries to write something to, for him to write um, the number one, two, three, four, five, all the way to ten would mm -hmm. take him about thirty minutes. All right, so we do the first procedure, and within about ten minutes, he walks twelve steps without the walker. What? Within how long? Minutes? About ten minutes. Ten minutes. Within ten minutes, he's after the treatment, and they, we have to keep him in a certain position for ten minutes. He's able to actually walk 12 steps without the walker. By the next day, he's using his uh, right hand. He's writing. Uh, he can write all the alphabets within about 10 minutes. He's raising his right hand first. Then he's able to pick up a cup. Then he's able to pick up a mug and drink. Then he's running his right hand through his own hair. This is a hand that he had to pick up mm -hmm. and put on the table for the last 10, uh, year and 10 months where he couldn't use it. Um, we do the second treatment on Saturday, and 
you know, you have to understand this is the first time I've ever done this treatment. And so it's a technique, but, you know, there's no place in the body that I can't reach inject. You know, with a long enough needle, that's one of the jokes in surgery. Yeah. As long as the needle's long enough, they, we can reach any part of the body, right? Right. So uh, I do the second treatment, and it doesn't have as much profound effect right off. But when I went to say goodbye to my dad that night, because they were leaving Sunday morning, it was literally like he stood up out of the chair and... He stood up faster than he even realized. It was like somebody <laughs> shot him out of the chair, okay, which right. normally you'd labor. Yeah. All right, so then they leave. They go to Pennsylvania. My mom calls me on Tuesday, so that was exactly six days ago. Tomorrow mm. will be a week. Okay. And she says, your father was uh, uh, dropped a, a Kleenex, apparently, and bent down, picked it up, and stood back up without any assistance, without using the wall, without using a walker, without using a cane. And so I'm listening to this, and I, I mean, I know how weak my dad was. I know how long it's been now. And before I can say anything, he, she says that he comes into the bedroom and he tells me, and obviously he could see, my mom's talking now. She says he comes and tells me, and I could, he could tell by looking at my face that I didn't believe him. So he grabs another Kleenex, drops it on the floor, bends down, picks it up <laughs> to show her. And now right. he's got her on videotape. So that in itself, that takes a lot of coordinated movement. You have to have a certain amount of strength to be able to, you know, sure, there's finesse involved as well. Exactly. So that's yeah. just in two treatments, pretty, pretty remarkable. And so even with stroke and these types of injuries now, the the, the whole, this is just another huge leap in advancement because now essentially what this is is a back door to the brain. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of exciting things. I don't want to say anything anymore because you know that right. our friends listen to us about oh, this. Oh, yeah, there, it, to... that's going to be something that uh, somebody's not going to be too pleased about. But I am thrilled to hear, especially for your dad and the family, uh, it would be nice if, 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 as you say, there's some literature that peer-reviewed or whatever on it. I'm curious to read more on it, but uh, that, that is a fascinating recovery. And the question is, is it a long-term? I know it's only been six or seven days, uh, or do we see a, you know, a reversal back into it? Is this something that the other doctor friend of yours had explained from a long-term perspective as well? No, this is actually supposed to be permanent. Um, I would like to say he's my friend. I don't know him. I have called his okay. office, but I'm certain that he's probably used to doctors calling and telling him how irresponsible he is, like I have been used to with, the, with our right. treatment with autism and such. Yeah. So he probably, that's why he didn't take my call. But I just, you know, if he listens to the show, I hope he understands that I think he should be getting the Nobel Peace Prize for his work. Well, maybe we can reach out to him uh, off the air, see what we can do. So, uh, Dr. Batar, stick with us. we got a, another couple of segments. Uh, we'll get into the FDA and mercury. And uh, But, I, you know, again, I keep teasing the, the topic, one of my favorites, to talk with Dr. Batar about spirituality and recovery from cancer. We'll do that next. Go to robertscabell.com, and we will be back with more healing. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. You never know what uh, new revelations will come about when we get together and do some advanced medicine. Dr. Raja Bittar here with Robert Scadbell. And one of my favorite topics with you, and of course you cover it in The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, uh, issues of spirituality and you know recovery from disease, particularly cancer and other things. I, yeah, we've talked about it at length a lot. I, I just Some of my fondest memories of our discussions when we get to go to those places because it's just exciting, it's uplifting, it's energizing, and now... Even the mainstream media is picking up on that based on some studies that are published. And Fox News has this headline, Spirituality May Be Tied to Easier Cancer Course. 
Now, they're well, talking would, about regular therapy, too. They're not even going holistic, but they're talking, you get the sense of this. Right. And, you know, if you don't deal with that fifth toxicity and the seventh toxicity, the fifth and the seventh used to originally be together, uh, emotional and psychological and spiritual, and that, then we divided it apart into the fifth and seventh, fifth being the emotional, psychological, and the seventh being the spiritual. Uh, if you don't effectively negate or eradicate those toxicities, Ultimately, the treatment will fail no matter what your treatment is, and the patient will not, um, the patient will transition. In other words, it depends on what we call success versus failure. If we call transitioning sure. to the next realm, as if we define that as a success versus failure, then they will not be able to stay in this realm, and they will transition mm -hmm. to the next realm. Um, but that emotional, psychological, spiritual component is the most vital. So all those things that you just said, when you said it's uplifting and it's empowering, mm. I, I agree with every one of those things, but it's also crucial to get success in keeping the patient still in this realm. Yeah, and the thing is, the, the, they, they said they looked over 44,000 cancer patients. Uh, studies varied in many ways that, that they reviewed, but religion and spirituality were associated with better health regardless of specific religion or set of spiritual beliefs. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what they believe as long as they have that belief. And it's, it's, uh, it's the stability and the strength that comes from having that belief. And this is why we have that in the seminars that we've had. Robert, you remember mm -hmm. at the Advanced Medicine Seminars, we talked about the single most important thing. And no matter what mm -hmm. people would say, love or God or, you know, kids or family, and every one of those are great answers and very, very uh, crucial answers, but they're not the right answer. And then people say, in fact, I think I told you I did the Minister Health Conference and there, uh, the lecture, that's the lecture I used, uh, that I gave, and actually when I asked that question, and a lot of people there said, you know, Jesus Christ, and I said, well, that's a, that's a good answer for if you're Christian, mm -hmm. but that's not true, and, you know, there, there was like such an uproar, and oh, Josh man. told me, Josh told me he was outside in the in the, in the the hallway, and he said, oh my God, Dr. Batar's doing this thing, because he could hear the uproar, right, and the right. and, yeah. but, you know, by the end of that, it was totally a different crowd, I, I, I was thanked by almost everybody there, I have actually yeah. a number of those health ministers that became patients, but the single most important thing is belief. Right. Because yeah. you can't say Jesus is the most important uh, if you're a Christian, if you don't believe that Jesus is the most important. Or you can't say that God is the most important unless you believe that there is a God. Or you can't say love is the most important if you've never experienced love. Or you can't say your family is the most important when you don't have a family. In other words, you have to first believe what you say. You, you don't say, well, I think it's this. So mm -hmm. belief is the single most important thing. If you don't believe you can get better, you're not going to get better. If you don't believe that we can actually have um, uh, the ability to, to fly in a plane, then you're never going to get in a plane. You're never going to experience it. You're never going to believe it. Do you think that any invention that we ever had was invented by somebody who said, I think I can do that, or somebody who believed they could do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very powerful recognition and realization. And then, you know, the people that you upset initially were going, oh, oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah of course, right? It, 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 you, can, you can let it wash over you and say, yeah, I need to believe. And, and the irony here, of course, is that much of allopathic, reductionist, materialistic science or medicine kind of discarded that concept altogether. So it's interesting to see that they're, if not outright embracing it, they are definitely acknowledging it in some form of study or, or overview uh, that I, I hope will open more doctors to this concept. Yep, I, I think that more of the public demand, I think, becoming more... Uh, within the mainstream where people now understand that these are important aspects. And I know there's a lot of, uh, what do you call it, the cursory type um, lip service that's given to this in conventional sure. medicine. There's a lot mm -hmm. of clinics I've heard. They have the, they have the, um, the psychologist or they'll have the therapist. They'll talk to somebody and 
but it's 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 not that's not what we're talking about. I actually have one of my patients that was just interviewed by Ty for the new Quest for the Cures International segment yes. that he's doing. So he's, he interviewed a couple of my patients, and actually it's it's really really funny because the one patient had actually gone to uh, American or is it the American Center? Um, Center Cancer Centers of America, is it? Yeah, oh, Cancer yeah, one Centers of those of big names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, they the, the rude awakening that they had there, and mm. you know they promote themselves as very holistic and and natural and uh, encompassing the best of both worlds, and sure. what their experience was there, and then what they decided to do, and so it's it's actually an interesting aspect because the spirituality aspect came up and the emotional psychological mm. aspect came up. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I want to put this out there. We have a lot of. Uh, you know, obviously fans of, of Nick Gonzalez who appeared regularly on the show over the years. And, you know, some of them have contacted me or others and said, you know, what do I do now? Of course, Linda Isaacs is planning to pick up some of the patients. I don't know how she can do all of them. I mean, no, I don't think anybody humanly possible can take double the amount and you need support until she has help. But uh, I'll just say this. This is not coming from Dr. Batar, but I'll say I have no qualms whatsoever with saying if you've been under the care of a Dr. Nick Gonzalez to go to a Dr. Rasha Batar in North Carolina you'll be well cared for, and I wouldn't have no, no qualms with that. So I just want to put that out for those of you who are patients of Nick Gonzalez wondering which way to go. And I'll, I'll be talking with Dr. Linda Isaacs about her plans as well, uh, but I put it out there not just uh, just out of compassion and love because I feel like people are you know saying, what do I do now? Well, um, I think that we've probably had a couple of uh, patients that, that have, uh, I guess you could say mutual patients that mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Gonzalez and I had, but, um, yeah, I mean, if we can help somebody, we'll, we're happy to do so. Yep, absolutely. I just want to put that out there as another option. And, you know, we'll continue discussing these things as well. Uh, if we go to, you know, a, a thing where we say there's a lack of spirituality, we could point to the, 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 the FDA. <laughs> and I know that might be offensive to some of our listeners who are at the FDA, because <laughs> we know they listen. But I don't know how they sleep well at night. Now, uh, this could be sort of a... A positive thing for them because they were about to announce a restriction or a phase out, if you will, of mercury amalgams. Those were all, always known as silver fillings. There were very little silver and a lot of mercury in the in the mouths of children that they were, and adults too. And throughout the world, the awareness has shifted. There are international treaties being signed uh, about you know basically phasing out, eliminating mercury and dental amalgams and, and elsewhere. And the FDA was on board here at this point. I think they couldn't deny it. And suddenly, it was from a, a, a 2011 report. They were going to reveal it, say, yeah, you guys got to back down on this. And then as they were about to do it, a secret group, if you will, of senior government officials overruled the FDA. They said, ah, not so fast. You're not going to do that. And I'm thinking, wow, you can overturn the FDA from within. You want to talk about a shadow government and that even the FDA is a puppet? I mean, it's not like we didn't know that, but that's that was a staggering revelation. The Alliance for Natural Health put the article out. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, how how can you have a secret? What was the society again? You called it a administrative. Well, they were senior officials at the Department of Health and Human Services, which is the DHHS is or the HHS is is over the FDA, if you will. The FDA is part of that. So basically, somebody from higher up than the FDA, which you think, well, they're pretty much the end of that. No, it evidently went up higher. So who controls those puppet masters? to say, uh uh-uh, we're not pulling mercury out because it's too expensive for poor people, as if putting mercury into the mouths of poor people was somehow defensible. 
Yeah, well, here's a question. What expertise, if the FDA's mandate is to protect the public, right, from a medical health, food, that type of thing, then what division above them would have a mandate or the ability or credentials or qualifications or experience or knowledge or education or any one of these things to actually say no? Mm -hmm. How can you override it? Well, and that's that's what we're dealing with here in America, where you have corporate fascism, you have the control industry basically controlling the government, and you know some of our friends on the left still don't get that when they call for more strength for the FDA. It's like, well, okay, uh, look at how well they're protecting us from dangerous food and drugs. Well, drugs in particular, even properly used, they're killing hundreds of thousands of people a year, and that's coming from the, the medical journals that have revealed that, not from our side, so to speak. Uh, so when you have this going through and the FDA is ready to set it out and go, yep, pull it, let's start withdrawing the use of it, and they get overruled, wow. I mean, that just tells you, like, the illegitimacy of these regulatory bodies, that they can't even do it if they want to do the right thing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it just makes you realize that no matter what you do, you know, it's like butting your head up against a wall. And so why even... It's kind of like doing the studies. Remember we talked off the air about this a couple mm -hmm. years ago, about the purpose of doing a study, and the study is really to convince those that I've been criticized, why haven't I done some of the studies? If I've collected all this data, why don't I do the studies? Well, we can't get it published, first of all. But why break your back to try to publish a study when even if you publish it, even if you, even if you get it, to, you write it all up, you do all the analysis, you do everything, all the stuff, that, which is a nightmare to go through, but once you do it and you submit mm -hmm. it, just because you have the word mercury in there, they're not going to publish it. So, and then let's say that somebody actually gets through that um, that uh, obstacle and gets it published. Everybody's going to attack it and negate it and, and have uh, have their own counterpoints. So it comes back to the quote from either Confucius or Buddha who said, "For those who understand, no explanation is necessary. Mm -hmm. For those who do not understand." no explanation is possible. So if you adhere to that quote, and you look at that from a philosophical basis, to do a study to convince others is absolutely a categorical waste of time. So my belief has been over the last five, seven years, eight years, Robert, is that I'm not interested in saving the world. I'm not interested in helping everybody. I'm only interested in those that desire my help, which mm -hmm. are those that understand. And those that don't understand, that's fine. You don't understand it. You don't, you don't want help. <laughs> you don't care about it. That's fine. I have no, nothing to gain or, or lose. Do whatever you want to do. But those that do understand and do want help, that is where my obligation, mm -hmm. my desire, my energy, is, my focus is. Well, and that's there's an efficiency of action. There's good kung fu there. And, you know, that's why we're not all that annoying, because we're not trying to berate people who aren't here already open to the message. We're just trying to help those folks that are already online or on board. And if you want to share it with somebody, we're not saying don't share it with them, but don't beat them over the head with it. Just welcome them in with open arms. Give them some vitamin L. The water's warm here, and it's not loaded with cadmium, mercury, arsenic, and lead, because Dr. Batar is here. When we come back... We're not going to drink Coca-Cola, but we sure are going to talk about it. The Coca-Cola company just got busted doing some science. But what kind of science will reveal after the break? Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert will be right back.
taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. Dr. Vitar and I were talking on the break. You, you mentioned a website that's uh, in process, but if people would mark it down, get ready for it, we're going to give you an invitation code. There's a, a, you know, a new interview that Ty and you did and put together, and I want everybody to w- be aware of. So can we go ahead and reveal the, the website, even though they won't have the invitation yet? M-A-N-G-O, the number four, and then health.com. And uh, they won't be able to access anything because it's by invitation only, and it will be ready soon. But um, we we expect there to be a flood. And, uh, well, mm-hmm. this is when we announced it. Remember the webinar I was going to do yep. back on May 11th, mm-hmm. Robert? Mm-hmm. We announced it on the radio show or we did it on Medical Rewind one time, and we sent the email out one time, and we had over 1,000 people register for that webinar. Right. And it basically, we, we realized we can't handle, we won't be able to handle that. Uh, I mean, 1,000 doesn't sound like a lot, but 1,000 to be able to do what we want to do would be a lot. So now yeah. we have to kind of upscale everything, and we can now probably handle fifteen to 20,000 um, people. Okay. So Mango's? No, just four, Mango. Mango, just singular. Mango4, yeah. the number four, health.com. And we're going to reveal it the moment it's available. And also, if you go to robertscabell.com, I'll have a, I'll put a banner up with a link to it and everything. So don't, don't worry, but we'll get you that invitation because you're going to want to partake in that. Now, having said that, I, I joked that I went to Coca-Cola University. I did. It's endowed by the Coca-Cola. Basically, it's funded by Coca-Cola, Emory University in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, they, the Robert, Robert Woodruff Foundation, these things are all prestige, whatever. But I've come to learn, of course, over the years, you know, a lot of that is for show. A lot of that's to promote big pharma and special globalist interests. So I'm not all a big fan of these multinationals. And although I drank a lot of Coca-Cola in my day, uh, I had to undo that addiction for my own health. And yet Coca-Cola, like McDonald's and others, are taking big hits economically because people are starting to wake up. So they hired scientists to do something that you thought would, no, they would never do that, would they? Well, yeah, they did. There's a lot of economics at stake, and that's why uh, the Coca-Cola company is uh, busted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get his busted. you All right, that's it, Coca-Cola Company. We caught you. Sugary drinks are not to blame for contributing to America's obesity epidemic. According to research science funded by the Coca-Cola, uh, I don't say university in this case, company, uh, they donated $1.5 million to start Global Energy Balance Network, and they basically funded science to show, oh, it's not our soda that's causing obesity. It's just people aren't exercising enough, Dr. Batar. And that might be partially true, but come on. These sodas, refined high fructose corn syrup, not a problem? Well, in the fifth step in the book, Robert, mm-hmm. you remember the fifth step, right? Absence from vices? Yes. Yeah, the absence from vices, um, the first, the most, well, okay, what, the, the most destructive, I guess I should say, Okay. I was trying to say how to think about how to uh, state it, but the most mm-hmm. destructive thing a person can do is take illicit drugs, mm-hmm. and then smoking was the next thing in line. But before alcohol, and again, you know I don't drink alcohol, so it's not that I believe in alcohol. I like drinking alcohol. That's why it's not high up there. But mm-hmm. before alcohol, between alcohol and cigarette smoking, it is soft drinks. Right. 
Carbonated sugar beverages, yeah. Exactly. And, and you know, whether it's the high fructose corn syrup or the artificial sweeteners, you know, some could argue that's even worse, but now it's not sugar even. It's high fructose corn syrup, which is genetically engineered. Well, it's and not course, just that, though. It's not yeah. just that. There's so yeah. many things in there. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you just phosphoric hit one acid. of the big ones, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. The, the phosphoric acid levels, mm-hmm. the, the, the synthetic sweeteners, the colorings, the, mm-hmm. all these other things that they have in there. And, and before we before we kind of go down the line that you guys go down, let me just ask you one question. Do you know what the most effective thing to use Coca-Cola for is? Uh, cleaning your toilet. Exactly. We've covered that before. But do you know what the state highway patrol uses it for? Uh, probably cleaning the chrome on their bumpers. Close. After trauma on yeah. the highways when there's blood? Yeah. That's what they use it for. They use it to clean up the blood on the side. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Well, Dr. Batar, another great advanced medicine uh, with you, medicalrewind.com. Remember, uh, those of you who want the full show, you can go to GCNlive.com, our syndicator, and, of course, naturalnewsradio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and, of course, across the pond at UKHealthRadio.com. Dr. Batar, thank you. Remind everybody what they need to know. That the power to heal is yours. Yes. The Robert Scott Bell Show.